0: podcast. Welcome back. have got a super cool show for you today. Uh, but before we get started and before I introduce our wickedly cool uh, and very accomplished guest, uh, Gary Johnson, I'd like to remind you that um, Catherine and my latest book is out at warrioryoga.com. And why that's important is if you can um, go there and download the first chapter, which I think you'll enjoy, it talks about how I kind of started Kokoro Yoga on a C-130 heading into Baghdad back in 2004 And also, you can um, enroll for a free 30-day challenge that we're going to be offering, which is actually going to be really, really cool. We just finished uh, all the filming last week. And so every day, you'll get an email with um, a video, like a short video, four to six minutes that'll have some sort of training. And, And most of it is not physical. So trust me, Kokoro Yoga is a very different program. It's mostly about the breath and about the mental training. And so I think you guys will love it. So check it out. Back to the podcast. So um, I am super stoked. I just got to meet uh, Gary um, a moment ago, and he, Gary is the 29th governor of New Mexico. He served from 1995 to 2003 there. He was the Libertarian uh, nominee for president back in 2012, and he's running again for the nomination this year. Uh, But more importantly to us, he's an avid triathlete and uh, extreme athlete and climber and just all-around adventurer. And so we're really going to have a fun time talking to Gary. So, Gary, thanks very much for your time. I really appreciate it. I know you're super busy, and we'll keep this tight for you.
1: Well, great to be on with you and, uh, you know, kind of taking off from where you left off. When I announced my candidacy for governor in New Mexico um, I thought it was I thought it was cool that the first thing that appeared in print was Gary Johnson, the triathlete, is running for governor. <laughs> <laughs> That's <is laughs> that awesome. Yeah. And then they actually then they actually connected it up with the business and uh, well anyway it was I've always viewed it very positively in my own life. Um, I made this commitment to myself in 1987. And not that I wasn't very, very fit and always athletic prior to then, but in 1987, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to be as fit as I possibly could be every day of my life. And I have, I have maintained that uh, to this day. In 1987, for what it's worth, uh, I stopped drinking. Uh, I stopped drinking. It, it had to do with rock climbing. Mm. Not that I was drinking and climbing rocks. Yeah, those two don't uh, go together. Well <laughs> no, but but just the uh, just the notion of being the best that you can be all the time, and it was an epiphany that I came to that you know what, uh, drinking if you have a couple of drinks the night before, it's just harder to get up at uh, four in the morning than if you don't have a couple of drinks. So I haven't had a drink of alcohol since. 1987, when I started this fit for life, every day I'm going to be as fit as I possibly can be. That is very cool. So and right now I am a 63-year-old, so it's a bit of an oxymoron, but I still remain a competitive athlete at uh, 63 and uh, really very proud of it, very proud of
0: it. Absolutely. You know what? You're you're speaking to the choir here. Many people in our audience are um are In that age bracket, you know, 50 to 70 even, Uh, we had a 63-year-old woman come to our Kokoro camp uh, last year. Kokoro camp, I don't know, I'm sure you probably don't know what it is, so I'll give you like that five-second overview. It's it's 50 nonstop hours of training, physical, mental, emotional, uh, spiritual training modeled after the Hell Week. So essentially, it's a civilian version of the Navy SEAL Hell Week. And so um, I think that that should be one of your next um, challenges. Actually, Gary, I, I, I invite you to challenge the
1: Kokoro camp
0: after the presidential election. How's that sound?
1: Well, sounds good. Uh, unless I'm elected president, and Mark, that may actually be a possibility, too. But unless I'm uh, ele- if, if I'm not elected president, I plan on riding the divide uh, next summer, which is a 3,000-mile mountain bike race uh, across the Continental Divide from Banff, Canada to uh, Antelope Wells, New Mexico, something that I think would really be a lot of fun.
0: That sounds like a lot of fun. So let's go back to, you know, you mentioned kind of this notion in 1987 that you want to be as fit as you could be every day of your life, which, by the way, kind of aligns perfectly with our SEAL Fit philosophy of lifetime integrated you know functional fitness. What was your background? Like, were you a a high school and collegiate athlete? How did you kind of get into endurance training?
1: Well, uh, uh, growing up, I did every single sport. There was not one sport that I did not do. I um, took up skiing at a fairly late age, but that really became a passion. so I did, uh, at the University of New Mexico, I was involved with the ski team, and Since then, um, I, like to say, avid skier, uh, took up, I have run cross country, I've played football, I've played basketball, wrestled baseball, I've done every single sport, and I I guess my big claim to fame is is that uh, I was always jack of all, master of none, and I always joke that if I would have really been good at something, maybe I wouldn't have had the experiences that I've had in my life because I'm just half-assed at everything. But when you put it all together, it really, uh, <laughs> right. I, I think it ends up to be pretty amazing myself.
0: Yeah, I love that approach, actually. And, and I, I'm in I'm favor of it because I think that, you know, when you're constantly trying new things and you're you're unlocking, you know, new, uh, like new modes of thinking and, and emotional Awareness, right? So it actually helps you grow, and so there's there's benefit in mastering one thing, but there's also tremendous benefit in in trying a lot of different things.
1: Well, I, I like I say, I agree. So I think I've done Iron, Man, not think. I've done Ironman Hawaii four times. Uh, probably uh, run somewhere close to twenty uh, competitive marathons. I don't know. Probably I've probably done fifty ten k's. I've uh, probably done one hundred and fifty triathlons. I've done I've done the 100 mile run in Leadville, Colorado. Uh, I've done the Colorado 100 mile race mountain bike race eight times. I've done Trans Alps twice, Trans Portugal twice, Cape Epic once. So anyway, it's something that I still really enjoy, and uh, I've uh, been fortunate enough to climb the highest mountain on each of the uh, seven continents, which. I thought uh, ahead of time that that would be a really great way to see the planet, and markets turned out that way. It's really not that I'm through, finished. Uh, not that I'm finished seeing the planet, but a good start, <laughs> yeah. I think.
0: Tell us about those seven summits. I mean, what was the most challenging? That's always been a dream of mine, and, and I think I need to get serious about starting that uh, journey. But what was the what was the most challenging, and what was the most interesting climb?
1: You know, they were all um, really. Great adventures. Uh, Everest unquestionably at the top, just because there's so much lore that surrounds Everest, and it is the highest point uh, in the world. So, and it was it was really cool. Halfway around the planet, nothing motorized whatsoever. So it was really a complete. 180 degrees from everything it is uh, that the United States is about. You know, you're in Nepal. You've got people who. You could say have nothing, and we're happier than uh, people here in this country that arguably have everything. And so, and uh, I'm always uh, asked about uh, you know my having conquered all these seven mountains, and my response is (laughs) I did not conquer one of them, not one. (laughs) It was a whole bunch of whole bunch of good grace involved in each and every one of them, and. I'm also asked, well, what was the key to getting to the top of all these? And uh, the key was just putting one foot in front of the other, much like life. Life is all about one step in front of the other, and you know what? Whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Right. Uh, just plan on it. And when things go wrong, hey, you can curl up in a, you can curl up in the corner or on the couch and. Declare yourself a victim and give up or just recognize that this is what happens all the time to everybody and deal
0: with it. Right. Right. Absolutely. Such great lessons. It's, you know, climb, I was—I just imagine. I've got a friend um, who's going to be heading up uh, Everest pretty soon, but with that altitude and the lack of oxygen, I mean, it really, I mean, you have to be 100% present and it truly is just lifting one foot up and putting it down again. I mean, What and I I understand that you got seriously frostbitten. I mean, what was that like? I mean, how how was that experience? I mean, I'm just kind of curious what happened to you on
1: that. Just before I went to uh, Everest, I broke my leg. I had a full fracture of the uh, tibia, and Mm. so basically, I left for Nepal with a healing broken leg. Right, and it was it's one of those, it's one of those things. Hey, crawl up, crawl up in a ball, get on the couch, you know. Wow, I'm 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 done for. Or you know what? Just deal with it, and that's what I did. And so, it wasn't really severe frostbite, but frostbite is severe. Uh, that's something that I've also come to recognize. Right. But the frostbite cat. Ha- had everything to do with the fact that um, I had a healing broken leg and that my broken leg on summit day was still an inch and three quarters bigger uh, around because Mm. uh, of the fact, a lack of the circulation in that leg that it it had been broken. So really it was more to do with that than anything else. The frostbite uh, mark came as a complete surprise. I am used to cold feet. Uh, I thought that my cold feet were within the bounds of cold feet and when I got back to uh high camp, the uh, first thing I did is I took off my boots and my toes were sheep white mm. sheep white, mm. and twenty minutes later they were they were all black uh, wow. i watched I watched that happen, and I just couldn't believe that 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 it was actually frostbite and I ended up having a bit of my big toe trimmed, which is a very common surgical procedure for people with diabetes. Something else that I, that wow. I have found out. But, but I live with frostbite every single step. Every single step. It is something that stays with you for your whole life.
0: Really? Interesting. I have a condition in, um, that I think I got when I was part of the SEAL delivery vehicle team where all the blood drains out of my fingers Really quickly when I'm in a cold environment, and I think that's one of my my general fears for trying to go off and climb is that I would literally lose my hands and it is
1: that to, is that Reult yeah Renaud's that
0: syndrome right
1: yeah yeah, and, yeah, and I'm very uh, my my uh girlfriend best friend fiance Kate she has Renaud's.
0: really, and I haven't researched it, but I imagine that's a big issue if you want to go out and be in a cold environment for. Days and days and days.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very real, and uh, all a lot of people have it, as you as you well know.
0: Right. Fascinating. Talk,
1: talk to me a little bit about why,
0: what kind of got you interested in in going into politics and, and being uh, you know running for governor in New Mexico.
1: I've, I've always believed that politics was a high calling. I believe that my entire life. So I was always hoping to be able to run for high political office. When I ran for governor of New Mexico, I'd never run for any prior political office. No kidding. Oh, that's cool. I, I ran for governor of New Mexico uh, as a Republican in a state that uh, is two to one Democrat and got elected and got reelected. And really, I made a name for myself, a pinching penny, which I'm proud of. I'm really as running now as a libertarian uh, Look, government's too big. It spends too much. It tries to accomplish too much. And in the process, it taxes you and I. And ultimately, taxes are is taking money away from you or I being able to do the adventures that we want to do. Right. And then civil liberties. The fact that individuals, <laughs> speaking specifically, you and I, look, so uh, we're completely capable of making decisions in our own lives that only affect our lives. Right. And when we cross over the line and make decisions in our lives that may adversely affect others, well, that's a whole different story. But libertarians, uh, myself included, it's really, really important that as individuals, we have liberty and freedom. And of course, we exert the personal responsibility that goes along with that in in our lives.
0: Right. I certainly, um, I love that philosophy. It's very appealing. And I think the problem with a lot of career politicians, they haven't really had to be out there, you know, struggling for survival and creating jobs and creating good works like, you know, many of us do. And so they kind of
1: forget that. Um, and, And in that vein, uh, I started, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. I started a one man handyman business in Albuquerque in 1974 And actually grew that business to employ over a thousand people Hmm. I sold that I sold that business in 1999 Uh, nobody lost their job they went on to new heights but for me money has always represented freedom uh, not things and it doesn't take that much money to uh, to have your freedom something that I do have and I I cherish more than anything else
0: yeah I, I completely agree with that I think you know the flow of money does represent opportunity for freedom, and and too much money can can enslave you. Interestingly enough, you know, I've I've seen. Uh, I had a friend who worked for uh, a you know multiple billionaire, and this guy's life was not free by any stretch of imagination, even though he had freedom of movement and whatnot. But you know, he had a, a staff of forty five people to run his house. I mean, that's it's hard to be nimble. Yeah,
1: it's hard uh, <laughs> to be nimble. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it becomes it be, life becomes about acquiring things as opposed to uh, experiences. And right. Like I say, I'm gonna I'm gonna always be on the latter end of that. I love my experiences. Yeah, no doubt. Now you're married. You
0: have uh, children, um, and you live in Santa well, Fe. So. Uh,
1: I have I have my uh, like I say my best friend fiance, Kate. Uh, okay. We've been together now for almost 10 years, and then I have. Two children. Eric uh is uh thirty-three and uh he's just become a father. So I've just become a grandfather. Oh, and my daughter Saya is thirty-six. Yeah, thank you. It's really very special. Very special. My wife, uh, my first wife, um we were together almost thirty years. We divorced um shortly after I left the governorship. It was the worst casualty, I think, of being governor, but um Shortly after we divorced, uh, she died from a uh, cardiac event, which was just, just horrible. It was just the worst thing that's happened to me in my life. Hmm. Wow. You mentioned
0: challenges of being governor and the stress that, that sounds like it just placing an enormous stress on your relationship. Tell us a little bit about what the life of you know the governor of New Mexico was
1: like day to day. Well, I, I really... Uh, I, I was going to say earlier that um, there is a silver bullet to the system, and the silver bullet to the system, I believe, is term limits. Uh, right. If you limit the amount of time that someone can serve in office, Mark, I think people will do the right thing as opposed to whatever it takes to get reelected. Right. Uh, but the experience itself, um, I just thought it was wonderful. I, I enjoyed it. It was It was 24-7, and certainly you don't work 24-7, but you're plugged in 24-7. Something happens 24-7, and you're governor of a state, you're going to hear about it, and you're going to have to deal with that front line. And uh, it was uh, very, very exciting to be able to do that. Uh, I think I'm the best example of term limits that... As governor of New Mexico, I was limited to two terms, and because of that, uh, I think I pulled out all the stops on both ends. Mm-hmm. You know, I really loved the job, so the first four years, I push it to the limits uh, to the extent that, gee, maybe I can get reelected. And then, uh, when I got reelected, you know what? There's no tomorrow. I'm not, I can't hold this job anymore. So. Katie Bar the door. Uh, I'm going to push public policy to the extent that it should be pushed. And did. right. Did um
0: did the job affect your health? I mean, obviously, you probably tried like heck to stay on your game with the triathlons and whatnot. But did it affect your sleep and your health just being on like that 24 seven for eight years?
1: It did not. I I, I think I uh, I think I thrived uh, in the environment. I I also um, on average probably got up at four o'clock uh, at least five days a week to go out and do my several hours worth of training every day, and so I I didn't miss a beat, and I had uh, a lot of really I think fun stories uh, as governor. Uh, you know, going to compete in events and actually doing very, very well in the events uh, as governor, doing well in the event. Mm-hmm. I remember the uh, Baton Death March uh, in New Mexico, which is an event every year where yeah. you have 1,500 military show up from all over the world. Yeah, yeah, a lot of buddies. And, and and two years in a row, I was the first place. Finisher in the individual category in full military gear, finishing second two years in a row to just one military team in the whole world. Hmm. So I, got, you know, i got a lot of mileage out of that. Yeah. I, I remember going out to uh, Puerto Rico and uh, getting to swim <laughs> with the seals in Puerto Rico as a training exercise and. I remember uh, one of the SEALs giving me his coin uh, after our two-and-a-half-mile swim. Nice. And, uh, and he said to me, he said, and Governor, we just want to tell you the truth here. Neither of us were expecting to give you this coin, but since you kicked our ass in the swim. <laughs> and he was being very polite. He was being very polite, but it was very cool. It was fun.
0: That's pretty <laughs> rare to get to actually do a swim with that <laughs> duty do SEALs. Very cool. Hey, you know yoga's for warriors. Maybe you've heard that my new book, Kokoro Yoga, is out. I'm totally stoked about this book. It's been over a year in the making. So go to warrioryoga.com to buy the book. Because if you do, I'll give you a couple free things, such as the first chapter of the book, as well as a video for recovery. So prepare your body, mind, and spirit on your quest to self-mastery by checking out Kokoro Yoga. Go to warriorr dot com who ya well so I'm just again uh, it just fascinates me this you know you're in office and you're and you're training for three hours a day most most politicians won't do that did did people think that was really cool or did you come under criticism for spending that much time and doing the healthy rot
1: well uh, i I think I think for the most part everybody thought that it was uh, really cool right. and I, because when you when you're governor, you get to set an example, right. and I think uh, I set a fitness example that um, uh, I think most people benefited from that example, and uh, like I said, it's just something I'm really, really proud of. i right. proud that I got the opportunity to be able to, to serve as an athlete, uh, adventure, uh, business person. So why
0: make the leap from, you know, governor to, to try to run for president? Why not, you know, go run for Congress or, or Senate?
1: Well, Congress or Senate, Mark, I really think that the root of all of our evil uh, has to do with uh, Congress and the Senate uh, going up and spending money that we don't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that at the end of the day, I think that if you're in Congress, if you're in the U.S. Senate, uh, at the end of the day, you get judged by how much bacon you bring home. Mm-hmm. How much money do you bring home to your home state? And that's really uh, the reason that we're in uh, that we have the problems that we do have today, and I do believe the fact that there are going to be some really severe consequences uh, to continuing to spend as much money as we spend uh, and literally have to print that money to do it
0: right. I, you know what, I'd like to talk about that a little bit, because I, I think that's fascinating, too. I, I mean, I've read some of the reports that show that, you know, we're you know, we're on this crash, this collision course, essentially, with debt. And then, you know, the, as interest rates start to go back up, our ability to service that debt will just, will just be impossible. And so we really are already bankrupt. We just don't know it. And what does that future look like to you? I mean, how do we work our way out of it? I mean, growth is the only way that I know, but, uh, you know, that
1: that's a difficult one. Oh, great. Well, and gr- growth is a component, but uh, you could also uh, you could also argue that if you if you balance the federal budget, uh, that that also sure. in conjunction with growth, uh, really, when, when you look back at the history of our economics, it, it's a balance. Um, but it's but it's spending less money. It's spending less money. It's growth. Spending less money has a way of uh, historically tying with uh, more growth. So it's just—it's getting a handle on it. It's being prudent. It's just being—just common sense. The same way that uh, we have to run our own households, the way that we have to run our own lives. You can't spend more money than what you bring in. Or in our personal lives, you end up bankrupt. Well, uh, that's just exactly in—in in the case of the government. Uh, ultimately, it's going to be inflation. It's right. going to be horrible inflation. Because you, it's it's more money, it's more physical money chasing the same goods and services. Well, gee, that's going to result in higher prices.
0: Right. Interesting. It looks like um, the end of the current, you know, presidential kind of fracas going out there. That there's there's no real discussion about this issue or some of the other issues that affect us. So what do you think about the current? I know you're, you're are you in the race or you're looking for, you're, you're looking to, for the Libertarian nomination at this point,
1: right? Yes, looking for the Libertarian nomination. Uh, today, uh, I think it's interesting. Today, they actually uh, had a fairly lengthy article about me in the New York Times uh, today. Oh, terrific. And last week, uh, last week I was included in the first national poll where my name has been included. And uh, I was at 11% uh, in that poll. At fifteen percent, um, I will be in the presidential debates. Uh, there's no way mark, that a third party can get elected president of the United States unless they are in the national debate right and it looks like that could be it looks like that could be a possibility and if that's a possibility why. I might just have to put the ride the divide off for a while.
0: Yeah, that would be terrific. (laughs) You know, there's some talk about, obviously, the Republican nomination, and if Trump doesn't get that of him running as an independent, would that make a four-party race, or how does that work in your view?
1: Well, right now, what, what is not being acknowledged right now is that the only third party that is going to be on the ballot in all 50 states is the Libertarian Party. By extension, the only third party candidate on the ballot in all 50 states is going to be the Libertarian nominee. Mm. Right now, it is impossible to be on the ballot in all states starting right now. It's not possible. Really? If you have all the money in the world, it's not possible. There are deadlines that have passed. There is sore loser legislation that is in effect. So don't get me wrong. Donald Trump could run as a third party after the Republican convention, but maybe he will only be on the ballot in eight states. And I just throw that out there as a number. Right. He mathematically, uh, anyone at this point uh, running as a third party, Probably would not be able to get on the ballot in enough states to mathematically be elected, meaning two hundred and seventy electoral votes so like I say very significant is the nomination from the libertarian party because that's that's the third party and and that that has not really been acknowledged uh in a widespread way <clears throat> by the media and hence. And hence, the country. The country really doesn't, people don't recognize what I just said.
0: I I think you're right. I mean, I don't think I recognize that. I I almost looked at it as independent as a party, but independent means you're just running as an independent, right? It's not an actual party.
1: Right, and if you're you're running as an independent uh, as a third party, uh, tomorrow it would cost somewhere in the vicinity of $15 million to get on the ballot in all the states But more significant is you you couldn't start tomorrow to accomplish this. Uh, This has to be something that's been ongoing for months and months and months. And so all the money in the world right now, you couldn't get on the ballot in all 50 states starting now.
0: Is that that rule set up to kind of keep people from just gaming the system and jumping from, you know, a you know a Republican who just didn't get the nomination is jumping over and running as an independent.
1: Yeah, that was the logic behind it. Yeah. Sore loser legislation. Yeah, <laughs> the sore loser rule. I love that.
0: that uh, was fascinating. Wow. So it's got to be very challenging though to get any exposure in this environment when the media is just so you know enraptured, let's say, by the two three, I guess, um, kind of leading candidates, maybe four, you know, between Trump and Cruz and and Hillary and Sanders. So how are you getting exposure? How are you getting your name out there?
1: Well, uh, you you hit it on the head. And uh, if, in fact, that's what I was pointing out earlier, there is no way a third party gets elected, no chance, right? unless they are in the presidential debate. Right. Now, very, very significant is also being included in the polls. Right. If you're, if you're, if you're included in the polls and you show up at what I showed up uh, at last week at 11 percent, that generates a whole lot of interest. I mean, it's all catch twenty two. If you're not in the polls, uh, you don't really get media attention. Uh, and the polls will say, well, we're not putting you in the polls because you're really not getting the media attention. The media will say, well, you got to be in the polls. Well, it's a, right. a chicken and egg thing. And um, it might just work out this election cycle that, um, that uh, has right now i am seeking the libertarian nomination there are about 25 others that are seeking the libertarian nomination but hmm. i think you could you could say that i am the presumptive uh, uh presumptive uh, leader uh to get the nomination just like in the poll uh, last week it was my name it was donald trump's name it was hillary clinton's name they being the presumptive nominees of the republican and democrat
0: party right right So who decides whether you're going to get on, you know, get into the debates or not? It seems like a third party should automatically be included in the debates.
1: Well, uh, our contention is, is that if you're on the ballot in enough states to mathematically be elected president, then you should be included in the debate. Right. The debate commission, the presidential debate commission made up of Democrats and Republicans argue or state that you have to be at 15 percent in the polls. Mark, I've never had an issue with being at fifteen percent in the polls. My issue is getting is being in the polls. Right? How do you how how are you at how can you get fifteen percent in the polls if your name doesn't even if appear you're on the
0: poll? That's fascinating.
1: And I and I'll just ask you in two thousand twelve. How my, I know the answer ahead of time. In two thousand twelve, how many times did you see my name alongside of Barack Obama's or Mitt Romney's as who are you going to vote for? Well, I know the answer. None, right? Yeah. And if my name would have just appeared, in my opinion, uh, that would have generated a lot of interest in and of itself.
0: Uh, absolutely, and you know, I'm the kind of person that you know I'm going to research it because I, I didn't like any of the the choices at the time, and so I was kind of stuck, really, without many options. Anyways, <laughs> politics yeah. is really interesting, and um, obviously, you're right right there in the heart of it. And I applaud you for it. I mean, it it really takes a thick skin and um, a lot of energy, and obviously you have that, and you're going to drive forward. And uh, you know, certainly wish you the best of luck in that uh, endeavor. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I recently did a podcast with a guy named Jesse Ventura. I think he might be seeking that same nomination.
1: Well, at at this point, he has uh, <laughs> expressed no interest in doing
0: that. Is that right? Let me ask you one question about. It's something that's near and dear to the seals and the spec ops community, obviously, but it's you know it's about the way we're approaching isis and in particular the inability to name you know radical Islam as a threat it's It's just mind boggling to me that we're fighting a concept you know like this war on terror would it be like fighting a war on submarines you know in World War two it just doesn't make any sense to me to fight a war against an unnamed enemy and how you know how do you think we should approach this growing threat of fundamental Islamic terrorism?
1: Well, I think we need to cut the funding off, and I think that we need to involve Congress in really a declaration of war with regard to our involvement, and uh, contain what's happening over there. I I happen to believe that our military interventions uh, have made that, that having troops on the ground, uh, we end up with a lot of our troops killed uh, or, or badly injured, and uh, at the end of the day, uh, with our troops being killed, badly maimed, hurt. Um Also, the fact that we're dropping bombs, hmm. uh, the fact that we're flying drones and killing thousands of innocent people. Um, I think uh, those actions have made things worse, uh, not better. Right. And that isn't to say in a nanosecond that we're not going to attack if attacked, but let's let's contain what's happening. There, not here, recognize that it's going to be a homegrown threat from the United States and deal with this with the brains and, and not bombs.
0: Right. Right. Sometimes it's confusing to, to think whether we're at war or whether this is a, a big legal battle to try to uh, round up the bad guys. You know, it's it's a little bit of both, and that's why oh, it's, it's been confusing.
1: Well, it's, a, a, as a member of the military, it has to be. Um, it has to be frustrating that uh that somehow uh, politics seems to play a bigger role than the a- actual warfare and right. that's what you're trained to do and that's if if unleash uh, that's that's what we want to let our military do
0: absolutely you should not employ spec ops or the military unless you're fully intending to let them carry out the task and accomplish the mission and we, we used to have this saying um that SEALs are kind of behind this this glass wall, and in, in case of war, break glass, but <laughs> unless unless there's a good need, you know, to keep us locked up, because we're just going to wreak havoc, and, and then w- once we get over there, all of a sudden, the rules of engagement have gotten so restrictive that um, it's the SEALs that are getting in trouble, you know, for doing their job, and it's extremely frustrating, as you, as you point out. Yes, yes. Interesting. Well, we're kind of, um, we've run out of most of our time, but I wanted to ask you about something um, that's probably had a profound impact on you. Um, you know, I've been involved in parachuting incidents and I had a friend, a really good friend of mine who was involved in a parachute accident just yesterday down in Miami, uh, Vice Admiral Harward. So God bless him. Hopefully, you know, he's survived, but he's obviously broken and he's going to need some injury or some healing, but it looks like you were involved in a a near fatal uh, accident paragliding. Can you tell us about that and, and about your recovery?
1: Well, just that um, uh, I took up paragliding in a really big way. I'm also a pilot, a gas balloonist. I had a couple of near-death experiences of uh, gas ballooning in, in the competitions. But I took up paragliding in a really big way. i have been flying in Hawaii for a couple of weeks. And uh, on the particular morning that I had my accident, I took off first. They always tell you, why be the wind dummy? Mm-hmm. also took off from a tight spot. The sport didn't scare me. I was going to fly to the sun. I mean, that's just the way it was. I loved the sport. And anyway, I took off up first and found myself uh, flying into the trees uh, that for the two weeks prior, I'd been flying over and my harness got caught in the top of a tree. And all I'm thinking about is how I'm going to just tangle my wing up completely in this tree. and. Market turned out that I didn't that my wing stalled and there was no tangling whatsoever, but I just dropped a straight 50 feet uh, onto my back. I mm. had a burst fracture of my 12th T vertebrae. I lost an inch and a half in height, mm. and um, six broken ribs, torn ACL, and outside of all of the things that you could identify, everything was screwed up. My shoulders, my hips you name it, and the doctors said, you know, that was going to be it. That my life as I knew it was really not going to be the same anymore and that I was going to have to cut way back and, you know, make adjustments. Well, that was in 2005. In 2008, I really felt myself fully recovered, but it did take three years to fully recover. And I will add that six months after the uh, accident, I rode my bicycle from uh, Santa Fe to uh, Napa Valley, which is about 1500 miles. No so six, okay. six months after the accident, like I say, I, I wasn't, I wasn't full by any means, but, um, I, I wasn't going to let something like that get me down either. So yeah. very fortunate. I just feel Good. very fortunate. And, and it started with being really, really fit to begin with. And right. something that I'm sure you come across all the time, you know, uh, Painkillers to deal with uh, with an accident like this. Well, I rejected those painkillers because they really get in the way. healing. Right.
0: So, what did you do to um, manage pain? Did you just breathe through it, or did you have other techniques?
1: Well, and I did use uh, I did use marijuana, which yes. uh, which really did help. And uh, you know, statistically, marijuana doesn't kill anybody. Right. And uh, it it certainly helped me through. At, when I got back to uh, when I got back to New Mexico right after the accident, I was told to that I was going to be laying on the floor for eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, marijuana
0: helped me get through that. Nice, fascinating, awesome. Well, sir, uh, Governor, this has been very, very cool, very interesting, and enlightening. I really appreciate your time. It's been uh, it's been very interesting, and I'm super stoked to meet you. I'd love to meet you in person someday, and I know you're probably too busy for that in the near term, but um, someday, uh, Kokoro Camp, put that on your uh, your bucket list. I think you'd really enjoy it.
1: <laughs> All right, sounds good. Well, it was, it was a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you very much, Governor, and uh, good luck with everything. And we'll talk to you soon. So, folks, uh, once again, thanks for listening. That's the Unbuyled Mind podcast with Mark Devine. We've been interviewing uh, Governor Gary Johnson, who's running for president on the Libertarian ticket. Let's wish him luck and support him. Uh, obviously, a, a super sharp guy and a very healthy one and leading by example. So let's get out to support him. Also, remember, warrioryoga.com for the latest book. On that note, train hard, stay focused, and have a lot of fun. And we'll catch you next week. Booyah. Mark Devine out.
1: Boys, time to explode, boys, make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright-swinging frogmen of the UDT. (laughs)